Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. From a room with no bed frame, we bring you episode 49 of Americans Watching the Footy. I'm Benjamin Castle. I'm Ethan Castle. And the remnants of what was his bed for about 23 years are gone. The room looks really weird without it. But uh, yeah, here we are, getting ready to preview round 20. Hard to believe we are already this close to the end of the home and away season. They grow up so fast. Don't want to waste much time here, so... Going to get to some news items about a couple coaching searches before we get into the nine games of the round. Some news around both the North Melbourne and Greater Western Sydney searches. Obviously, both of those revolve largely around Alistair Clarkson. And it's no surprise that if the former nine-year kangaroo wants a North Melbourne job, it's his. And in fact, Sonia Hood spent 10 minutes with Clarko's manager last Saturday at Bluntstone Arena during their loss in the Tasmanian tussle against Hawthorne. Interesting note, Clarko checked off another bucket list sporting event recently because he was at the Open Championship when Cam Smith won and tried to figure out how many beers could fit into the Claret Jug. I feel like 10 minutes with Alistair Clarkson's agent can be taken a lot of ways. You know, it's like seven minutes in heaven. Yeah, or I was thinking of the Penguin publisher on Family Guy who, you know, there's like a prospective author and he goes you know well if you want to be in black and white black and white's gotta be in you not gonna dwell on that much further clarkson of course also in the running for greater western sydney but their search looks to be much more wide open and he's regarded as merely one of a half dozen or more candidates you know i think with coaching searches in general my attitude towards them has kind of changed in the last couple years and this is across all of sports I think unless you're able to get someone who's, you know, a proven winner at the highest level, which you could definitely consider Clarkson, although it's been a few years, I think it's still fresh enough that it has some merit to it. I think otherwise, go for someone new, go for someone unproven. James Hurd is not that, wasn't able to do all that much in his time at Essendon, though, of course, part of that was because he was suspended for a year and we don't know the length of the involvement in that. No further punishment or anything being sought by the AFL, but he is not in the running for the Giants job. And neither is Ash Hansen, who was one of Michael Voss's assistants at Carlton. He was their caretaker in round two, was the premiership coach in the VFL with Footscray in 2016, is regarded as one of the best assistants in the AFL. He will not be leaving Melbourne, preferring to keep his family there. We've seen plenty of other candidates through the caretaker ranks step up this year. Sounds like Jamie Graham will spend another year at Frio, but leaves open someone like Adam Uze, for example, for Melbourne. But I completely agree. Go in a new direction if there isn't, you know, a sparkling championship candidate already. It's why I feel 
not that great at all about the San Jose Sharks hiring a retread in David Quinn. At least Quinn has only held one prior NHL job, whereas most of the other NHL coaches get passed around like I, I can't even think of an analogy. It's, you know, they're very environmentally conscious because they recycle crappy coaches, but it's it's insanity, honestly. Probably doesn't help that the new Sharks general manager came from the New York Rangers, where the previous coach was. Mike Greer, the GM, and Quinn also had ties to Boston University, so that connection goes further. Obviously, we aren't as familiar with the AFL head of football ranks and things like that in terms of how far back those connections go, but it seems like the Giants would be an organization more keen to make a new start of things if they don't already have their man in Spike. I imagine we won't see decisions on that front until the very least right after the home and away season. Seems like Black Monday, as we call it in America, the day after the regular season ends, is somewhat of a thing in the AFL. But with fewer teams in the mix, it may not feel as crazy as in the NFL where you got 32 teams and a quarter of them, if not more, may sometimes make changes all at once. But that's looking a few weeks down the line. Before we get into that, we have another really interesting round lined up in terms of finals teams matching up against each other, a couple rivalries in there. I think on the surface, this is a really sexy round, whereas like round 19, a lot of the matchups ended good, but there were only a couple that you looked at where, you know, no matter what happens in this game, there's going to be drama. There's going to be a lot to talk about. Whereas, I mean, this round, Sydney Derby, the prison bars game, I think that's enough right there. And then you have Richmond struggles as of late against Brisbane trying to finally crack the MCG code. Geelong against the Bulldogs is a huge matchup. And oh yeah, we have a massive Friday night round opener. And hopefully Optus Stadium has better ground conditions by then. Because it would be a shame if those negatively impacted Fremantle and Melbourne. That will bounce at 6.10 p.m. in Perth. 8.10 p.m. for viewers in the eastern states of Australia. In the U.S., that's 6.10 a.m. Eastern, 3.10 a.m. Pacific. One of the later start times for a standalone game this year. And American viewers can tune in to Fox Sports 2 to watch this one. The Dockers enter this game at 12-5-1. They sit in 5th. The Demons at 13-5, they are in second. These teams already met once this year at the MCG, where the Demons, then going by NARM for the Sir Doug Nichols round, saw their winning streak come to an end. Fremantle winning that one by 38. A common thread between that round 11 matchup and this one? No not five for Fremantle. He's got a hamstring injury this time, and he'll be targeting a round 23 return. Looks like Rory Lobb should be back in, though. Had some shoulder problems a couple rounds ago, maybe a bit of a chest issue recently as well, but he should be back in. And who knows, maybe he's facing his potential next team. I know the dogs are front runners, but I could totally see a sort of Jackson and Law blockbuster emerge. Will Brody is expected in, played through a quad problem last week. In terms of other things that I see, maybe some more speculation here. I wasn't a fan of the call for Liam Henry to play ahead of Travis Collier last week. I would reverse that. I've liked Henry in bursts, but Collier has been the more consistent player. And when it comes to the waffle, no shortage of guys to look at there. The roster for the Peel Thunder last week included six guys who can reasonably crack an AFL lineup, plus a couple others that have played a few games. Neil Erasmus, Ethan Hughes, Lloyd Meek, Sam Sturt, Josh Tracy and Nathan O'Driscoll, 
If you've listened to me talk about the Dockers at all this year, you know every week I make my case for Meek and O'Driscoll. I think especially now with Ed Langdon to match up against, they have every reason to include O'Driscoll. I think he is a great young wing. We've seen what other good young wings have done matched up against him. We saw what Max Holmes did just a couple weeks ago. Having O'Driscoll and then maybe Frederick on the other side to go against Langdon and Harms is a juicy matchup at the very least. And with Max Holmes having shown the way for how to get past Ed Langdon, remember, he wasn't in in round 11. Justin Longmere could definitely use that to his advantage. And as for Lloyd Meek, maybe he's also someone that Melbourne should be targeting if they're looking for a good return from Luke Jackson. And if there's a team to match up against with a second Ruckman, this is the one. The problem is, who do you leave out? Would be stiff to leave out Collier once again. Honestly, that might be something you'd have to do at this point. Because remember, you have the luxury of being able to slide Griffin Logue anywhere on the ground which makes your lineup flexibility a lot easier. Though I don't think he'll also be a Ruckman this week like he's been at times the past couple. My question for Fremantle is kind of spurred by how they performed last week. What do they do to score? Because obviously Law being in would be a huge boost, but he's going to have some difficult matchups. That's, even though Melbourne is more zone-based, that's somewhere that Stephen May's size can become a factor. And when you don't have Sam Switkowski... That takes away a lot of your forward mobility. And I think even though we've talked so much about Michael Frederick's pressure, I think Switkowski's ability in that part of the scheme was really important as well. I also think, you know, we've talked about, or at least you've talked about Michael Walters being disappointing the last few rounds. A bounce back game from him would also be man. May's size could factor in. Jake Lever's size when it comes to playing the air could be even more important. And he is expected back this week. Looks like James Jordan will also be available, though Riley Beveridge doesn't project him in. Now, Riley Beveridge projects Weaver in for Tomlinson, but I think Tomlinson makes a case to stay in. If we're just looking at the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately angle of it, I would probably look at taking out Michael Hitter. Not a straight swap, but an understandable one. Also, we'll note that Ben Brown will be out for another week with the same knee injury that made him a later out Last week, so another shot for Sam Wiedemann there, and maybe another shot for Ben on some VFL coverage. And speaking of VFL, Kate Chandler has kept up especially good form there for the still undefeated Casey Demons. So he could be another small option along with Toby Bedford, Kazi Pickett, etc. It looks like it's going to rain earlier in the day on Friday, not during the game, but could being adjacent to precipitation affect the Dockers. We've talked about the rain being their biggest enemy this year. Adding to the intrigue of this matchup is that neither team played their best last week. I think that applies more to the Dockers. Melbourne, at least, they were towards their full capacity offensively. Defense obviously left something to be desired. Especially from one Stephen May. I wouldn't say he looked explicitly bad, but he didn't look explicitly good. And over the last two years, we've come to expect him to be you know, this rock-solid anchor out there defensively. So that's definitely a change of pace. It's also a case where he and Lever do definitely work better as a tandem, and we ought to see that again this round. There's also the fact that maybe it just has taken him a little while to get back up to speed. I don't think that would still be the case after this long. Looking at Saturday's games, I have one thought as we start things off. Fuck you, Eddie McGuire. It's the Eddie's a Wanker game. One of our favorite matchups every year Collingwood and Port Adelaide, 
They meet just this once this season at the MCG. This one gets underway Friday night at 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States, 11.45 on the East Coast. At the MCG, it'll be a 1.45 p.m. start on Saturday, which means, of course, 1.15 p.m. for anyone watching in South Australia. It'll be televised on Fox Soccer Plus. Collingwood are all of a sudden in the top four, which is hard to believe considering they started out four and five. Haven't lost since being thoroughly beaten by the Bulldogs back on May 13th. Meanwhile, Port Adelaide, another team that didn't get off to the greatest start themselves, they were 0-5, now they're 8-10, and they are in 11th. In a year where still 13 wins seem somewhat necessary, I would say the Port are probably done already, and their percentage would only do them favors if they somehow leapfrog St. Kilda, and the Bulldogs also falter. I think, in theory, they could catch the Bulldogs on percentage. I think catching Richmond on percentage is almost out of the question, but Port Adelaide's final hopes at this point are slim to none, and they cannot control it on their own. In their two games last year, the one at the G in round 10 was much more entertaining. Port Adelaide started uncharacteristically slowly before a big Charlie Dixon smother right outside the goal square started turning things around, and Port ended up winning that by a single point. It was one of my favorite games to watch all season, even though it's probably one that a lot of people forget about. And then in round 19, Port Adelaide's home matchup was shifted from the Adelaide Oval to an empty Marvel Stadium, and Port won much more solidly. That one was a 28-point margin. If they really wanted to create a realistic experience, the pumped-in crowd noise would have included chants of Fuck You, Eddie, or Eddie's a Wanker. Port also beat Collingwood in the last round of 2020, so they're riding a three-game win streak in this matchup into this one. For the Pies, Jordan Degoe is expected to return after missing a couple weeks with his quad injury. However, Mason Cox has now missed a couple days of training with some sort of non-COVID virus. So maybe there would be a chance then... I doubt this, but it shouldn't be ruled out. If Cox is unable to go, is there a chance that Brody Grundy, instead of just playing VFL, gets elevated straight back into the AFL squad? I am going to say that's highly unlikely, especially considering their opponent not having too much to worry about in terms of rock duties. Port could definitely change things up, though, themselves there. They could decide to include Brent Heekle, Sam Hayes, both of them are making their way back from upper body injuries. I find it likely that they'll largely stand pat, thinking about the effort that they put up last round and how Charlie Dixon did inside and outside the ruck. Moving outside the ruck discussion for Collingwood, though, it's hard to figure out, you know, who would be making way for Degoe. I'd say he couldn't take out Ash Johnson at this point with how he started his AFL career. Josh Carmichael would be tough to remove. Trent Bianco's had a couple solid games and was a key factor in their in their win with his role in the final passage of play, setting up Jamie Elliott. Might it be Jack Ginnivan that gets managed? I think there are a few different options here if you wanted to give an older guy a game off as well, whether that be someone like a like a Pendlebury or your side bottom, although that doesn't seem to be something that they're interested in doing right now, whereas Say, Geelong have done that with guys like Selwood and Dangerfield over the last couple years. They're fighting to stay in the top four, though, and they have to win to do that because their percentage is easily the worst out of anyone near them on the ladder. So I don't expect any management of the veterans. As for Port Adelaide, 
Dan Houston will be missing this game in concussion protocols. He's been a very good mover, starting at halfback, but being able to go pretty much anywhere on the oval. Riley Bonner's is likely a replacement, and his kicking is a lot more suspect, to say the least. Also sounds like Aratio Fantasia at last is likely for his season debut. He hasn't actually played since last year's preliminary final against the Bulldogs, though he was an unused medical sub in round nine against North. A chance also for the amazing mullet of Lockheed Jones to make his return from a hamstring injury. Port Adelaide are one of those teams this week where we'll learn a lot about culture and mental fortitude and things like that, considering that they're coming off. No, they didn't absolutely get their hearts ripped out like Essendon did last week, but a pretty deflating loss in the spot that likely sealed their fate. So we'll learn something about what they're made of from the tactical side of things. I thought over the last couple of weeks, Jeremy Finlayson has finally looked like the sort of player that the Power were hoping for him to be. And if he can keep up his strong run of play towards the end of the season, that would certainly give them some hope moving forward. The question from there is, if they don't put up a performance anywhere near convincing, what does that mean for their coaching ranks? Yes, Ken Hinckley's got another year on the contract, but... Collingwood are favored by six and a half. With how they've been able to grind out close wins as of late, I understand why people may not bet on them to win by that much. Combine that with what this game can mean to Port from multiple angles, and I understand why they may lift. Until Collingwood don't win a tight game, I'm just going to predict them to do the same thing every week. Just the question is how. It's going to be something dramatic. You know, could they become the first team to ever win back-to-back games off kicks after the siren? I know people are saying flag pies, but honestly, calling flags sounds funnier. I'm just going to address the whole prison bars thing really quickly. I think Port should totally be allowed to wear them, just not against Collingwood, because then they would look way too similar. You know, like if you look at Port's prison bars design, it's kind of its own thing. And it's just Collingwood don't really have any other colors, so it really wouldn't work against them. But against any other team, I don't see the issue with it. And I don't think Port have ever aimed to wear it against Collingwood more than anything. They just want it for showdowns and retro rounds. Nothing against that at all. Our other game in the opening slot on Friday night, well, technically staggered by a good 25 minutes, but nonetheless, part of the early American Friday night, Australian Saturday afternoon set is Sydney Derby 24. Now... The Giants didn't really have a home Sydney Derby this year, even though the round one game, which the Swans won by 20, was just across from the showground at what is now a core stadium, the old Olympic Stadium. This one's going to be at the SCG. As you said, it's going to be 25 minutes after the Eddie's and Wanker game gets going. So it's 2.10 Eastern in Australia, 12.10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday the 30th for American viewers on the East Coast, 9.10 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 29th for us out here, and this will be on Fox Sports 2. I mean, realistically, the Giants have never had a home Sydney Derby. They're going to be outnumbered in the crowd no matter where the game is being played. Fact of the matter is they didn't have one at their home ground. The Swans come in in 6th at 12-6, and six, but I like their chances to be able to move themselves up from there. Their draw seems like one of the easier ones the rest of the way, starting with this. I mean, it probably started with Adelaide last week. The Giants are 5-13. They're in 15th. 
I don't really know what they are at this point, other than a team that runs out of gas by the time it matters. Hopefully we'll get some greater definition of that as they look to be a more complete side this week than they were the past couple. In terms of where these teams stand overall, the Sydney Derby, teams have traded wins the past six meetings, and Sydney leads the overall series 14-9. to Man, remember when people thought Buddy was just going to open the season by getting his thousandth right then and there? Yeah, Phil Davis was on him, and as I've said multiple times, Jack Henry was an unfortunate matchup the next week because Henry just physically doesn't match up with a guy like that. If we knew what we know now, Sam DeConing would have been the guy there, and it would have been at least another week. No wallet for Zach Tui to get back then. Looking at the Swans list, Peter Laddams is probably still a week away from returning from his broken thumb. So Tom Hakey will be the main man and maybe the lone man, all things considered, in the ruck for the Swans. So that should be an interesting matchup there with Braden Pruce. And I feel like there's just going to be something physically bad that comes out of that, whether it's a scrap that turns ugly or an injury in some way, shape or form. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm hoping for the best and expecting the worst there. In terms of other changes, Michael Whiting on the AFL website for the In The Mix article doesn't expect any. Questions have been raised about Josh P. Kennedy. He's been strong in a couple rehab games of the VFL. A lot of other guys have put their hands up. I just don't think there's any need to fix something that isn't broken right now. You know, this is a rivalry game and all, but... Considering the gap in the standings, maybe this would be a sort of game where the Swans choose to manage some of their guys, and that's how Kennedy would slot back in. Maybe it could be a nice sort of farewell event. I'm not sure. That said, they've got North next week, which is another opportunity to do that. So they can kind of partial these things out. The way I would do it, say you have three guys you want to give a game off to, maybe do one this week and then the other two against North. While we may not have many changes to come for the Swans, the Giants will definitely have a few. First off, they managed Tom Green and Jesse Hogan last week. Also, Harry Perriman should be back from a rib injury that's held him out for the better part of two months. And Lockie Whitfield should be back from a hip injury. Also, Matt DeBoer and Josh Kelly should be available after completing concussion protocols. So while this is still going to be a team that's going to leave something to be desired defensively, because that's kind of how they've been damn near the entire season, even with Phil Davis in, they're going to look more complete and hopefully put up a fight in this game. I've enjoyed the Sydney Derby. I always think this is a fun one, especially last year when the Giants managed to pull out the road win, the one they actually got to play at the SCG as opposed to the finals match in Tasmania, which was undoubtedly a great game, but something special about doing it at your rival's stadium especially when you're the far less popular team with far less history. Well, the odds makers, betters, etc. don't like the chances of that. They have the Swans favored by a nice 33 and a half. I think I would actually make this one a little bit lower, even with GWS struggling as of late. Is it just the rivalry factor? They're getting healthier and it's a rivalry. Once again, I think the AFL messed up the scheduling for this round. I would not have put St. Kilda and Hawthorne as the standalone game, but here we are, and there they will be at Marvel Stadium at 4.35 p.m. local time in Melbourne. That's 2.35 a.m. Eastern time for American viewers on the 30th, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on the 29th. That will also be a Fox Soccer Plus game. Saints clearly with a lot more to play for than the Hawks. St. Kilda under this one at 10-8, they're in ninth. 
Hawthorne at 7-11 and 11 in 13th. They are winners of their last three in a row as their schedule has gotten a bit softer. However, the Saints have won four straight head-to-head against Hawthorne, including a near doubling at the G in round four. They actually won by the nicest margin possible. It's 142-73, to 73, and four Saints had four goals. On the injury front, there's much more to report on the St. Kilda side because... Most of Hawthorne's injuries were season-ending, most of those occurring a few weeks ago. When it comes to St. Kilda, Dougal Howard's going to miss another week with a knee injury. He's the kind of guy who, when he's played well, has really taken them to the next level. So I think they'll definitely miss him, especially when you're trying to contain the combination of Luke Bruce, Mitch Lewis. Don't forget Jack Gunston in there as well with his five-goal performance last round, playing for his father. Jack Billings was subbed out in the first quarter last week with back spasms, so we'll see what his status is like. I had back spasms once. It was awful. That is one injury that I will never question an athlete's toughness on because if you have back spasms, you try to bend over to tie your shoes and you will start crying from the pain. It is absolutely miserable, and basically the only thing you can do is just lie down and take a shit ton of muscle relaxers and just kind of wait for it to get better. Along with Billings, Jake Gresham is a test. He's had some knee issues over the years and may have a recurrence of one, perhaps thanks to, in part, the poor conditions at Optus Stadium last round. In terms of straight-up omissions last round, Nazai Wanganin Millera and Zach Jones were both dropped, and Jones responded quite well, working through a tag in Sandringham's game in the VFL against Port Melbourne. Also notable in that contest for the Zebras, or do they say Zebras in Australia? I'm not sure. Dan Hanabry had a second straight good week and may finally be in line to return. The only thing to note for Hawthorne is that Chankwith Jap is a potential return from a knee injury. If he's not in, don't really expect any changes on the Hawks front. Last week in their win over the Eagles, you were super impressed with Marcus Windhager's performance. I wonder, would he be deployed as a tagger again this week? And if yes, who would it be against? Would it be against a midfielder like either Jai Newcomb or Tom Mitchell? Or would they do it against one of the forwards? You know, whether that be Bruce, Gunston, Lewis, heck, maybe even Dylan Moore, who last week I really liked when he came out and played kind of on the periphery of the 50 instead of just hunting goals. He did a lot more to set up his teammates, plus some good tackling. If you're trying to compare... With the Tim Kelly matchup, Kelly has done some of his best work at stoppages as well as moving through the middle as of late. And I'm thinking Newcomb could definitely be a target then, though maybe against someone older like Tom Mitchell, he may have some greater success, though either one seems viable. I would be more partial to seeing him against Newcomb. Newcomb's physicality would also kind of be a bit of a different matchup than Tim Kelly. And I think we'd learn a lot about Windhager in the process. Meanwhile, Hawthorne has quite the tiger themselves in Finn McGinnis. We could definitely see him against someone like Jack Steele, who definitely led from the front this past round, collecting 40 touches. An eight and a half point line in favor of St. Kilda seems a bit narrow, but St. Kilda have not done much as a team to make me think they're going in a great direction to contend in September if they even get there. Do you think the betters might be valuing Hawthorne's wins against weaker competition a bit too much heading into this one, though? I think it's more just how the Saints have played lately. I really do hope this game keeps up the trend where, you know, when we say, why the hell is this a standalone game? It ends up being a really good one. Case in point, 
Richmond versus North. So hopefully this does the same. I want to be entertained, although I want better kicking accuracy than we had a couple weeks ago in the standalone slot. Although I wouldn't mind if it's nap time because there's a pretty big one to finish off the night after that. Thank you to Anchor by Spotify, as well as the other podcatchers on which you can find us. You can also find us on Twitter at Americans Footy, giving our live reactions to all the games in the round and whatever other AFL news comes up. Individually, I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is only on Instagram at Brian. So yeah, that big game that Ethan was talking about before the break, he's particularly interested because it's the Cats. But also, everyone should be interested in this one because it's the team that's a bit of a surprise to be in first at this point, more so to be a game and percentage in first against a team that nobody would expect to be an eighth this time of year. Geelong enter at 14 and 4, the Bulldogs 10 and 8 with an 8.3% lead over St. Kilda. This one will get going at 2.25 a.m. for those of us on the West Coast of the United States on Saturday, 5.25 a.m. if you're on the East Coast, 7.25 p.m. bounce in Victoria. These teams already met once this year. Round 12 at Marvel Stadium, a 13-point Cats win in which Tom Stewart left concussed. Geelong still managed to hold on. Throughout this nine-game win streak, they've had games where they've had to hold on. Last week against Port, round 15 against Richmond, that one in round 12. And in that game in round 12, as well as their most recent four, they have been without Stewart. Round 12, I remember being the defensive emergence of Zach Guthrie. Plus, Brian Myers even got thrown into a defensive role at times and stepped up. And obviously, that was all part of Sam DeConing's progression, cementing himself as one of the top young defenders in the competition. But the Bulldogs are a different team now than they were then. The biggest thing being the emergence of Jamara Hagen the last few weeks. He was deservedly named the Round 19 Rising Star. And he gives the Bulldogs that sort of goal-sneak small forward element that they didn't quite have. They've had no shortage of good tall forwards, but having both the size and the speed has really taken them to a new level. Amazing to think Josh Bruce hasn't had much impact since his return, and yet they've been going as well as they have. Though, you could consider that Bruce maybe had some importance as a decoy for a couple of those chances that Jamara got. Additionally, how about Aaron Naughton this past week standing up to Max Gaughan at stoppages? We'll see if he'll be able to continue some of that ruck stand-in work against whoever's in there forge along to help Mark Blitzovs. I would think if it's in the Bulldogs forward 50, you could actually ask DeConing to do some of that if the other assignments don't get messed up as a result. And when the Cats are in their forward 50, obviously that's kind of Tom Hawkins' territory. But in the middle part of the ground, Blitzovs and maybe at last John Seglar? Yes, Reese Stanley suffered some knee damage when he got subbed out in last week's win over Port Adelaide. He suffered minor cartilage damage and bone bruising. It's been said that he'll be out in the medium term, and I've heard all sorts of different things, most in the range of two to four weeks, but some saying it could be as much as six. We know it's a two-week minimum, though. And Stanley, like Blitzoffs, has really bounced back this year after struggling in 2021. Fortunately, the Cavs do have the rock depth to be able to withstand something in the short term, at least. Although, I don't know if John Segler or possibly Asava Radagalea would be taking hangers in the goal square, like Stanley did a couple weeks ago against Carlton. I would think if you go with Segler, 
He offers more within the center square, but I don't know what else he'd give you on the ground, whereas Radagalea may not be as good within the actual ruck duties, but has more ability elsewhere. I would assume they end up going with Sagler, going with the experienced route here, especially considering they're going to be going up against Tim English. Fitting everyone else into this lineup is going to be a struggle, though. First off, who comes out for Tom Stewart? Could it be Zach Guthrie? Could it be Jake Kolajashny? How do you get Sam Menegola out of concussion protocols and into the lineup? How do you get Brendan Parfit into the lineup? These are very good problems to have, but I'm surprised Josh Gavilich only projects two changes with Segler for Stanley and Stewart coming in at Zach Guthrie's expense. I can tell you that whether or not those are the only two changes, you're going to have some damn good options for the medical sub and some damn good options playing VFL. As for the Bulldogs, Caleb Daniel and Taylor DeRay are both facing tests and are possible to return from their knee ailments. Daniel is looking more likely he had a cartilage issue, and he is someone that I had labeled as essential these past couple weeks. But the emergence of Buku Kamas as an extra tall defender has helped neutralize the impact of some of his absence, even though Daniel is anything but a tall defender. Maybe then he could be afforded to play a bit further up the ground and do some wing work on any ground other than Cardinia Park. Also, maybe Daniel could match up in terms of, at least from a size standpoint, with Tyson Stengel, who's been a tricky matchup for a lot of teams, considering the hype he's gotten this year. People constantly throwing him out there as a possible All-Australian. That's the one-on-one that I would expect from him, though I was thinking a bit more honestly out of his impact in terms of moving out of defensive 50 in that moment. Maybe because he can go out of the 50, maybe that's the sort of guy you can call on to try to deal with Brad Close. Additionally, Anthony Scott is a candidate to return from concussion protocols, and we don't know as of yet what the status of Adam Trelore will be. He's also going through tests on his calf. Remember, he was absolutely on fire in the first three quarters against the Demons before going down. He largely kept him in this game and set him up for a chance down the stretch. Cats are favored by an incredibly high 19 and a half, which I love the home field advantage, but that seems probably a good at least seven points higher than I would put it. I'd put it probably somewhere between, I don't know, nine and 13 points, something in that range. My only hope is that this isn't an important game for the Bulldogs because when their backs are up against the wall, they win. You are really going to take this thing all the way. I can only imagine now the dogs making the grand final and losing, and then you'll say, now this game wasn't important for them. Correct. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on FS1 for Geelong and the Bulldogs, but I'll be paying more attention to my computer screen because just five minutes after that gets underway at Cardinia Park, we have Eddie Betts Cup Part 2 as Adelaide hosts Carlton at the Adelaide Oval. That's a 7 o'clock p.m. local bounce in Adelaide, so it's 7.30 p.m. in the eastern states of Australia, 5.30 a.m. Eastern, 2.30 Pacific for American viewers, and that's a Fox Soccer Plus contest. Adelaide are 5-13 in 16th place after having lost to the Swans last round. They played them well in the second through fourth quarters, but holy cow, did they not in the first. Carlton are 12-6. and six. They are in seventh in an incredibly crowded top seven where teams are separated by no more than two wins. And they don't have the worst percentage of that seven either. Looking at the way the ladder's shaping up, 
I think it's really important to stay out of seventh or eighth because there's a good chance that whoever comes in fifth is an interstate team, whether that be the Swans, Dockers, Lions. And if you can make sure that you're not drawn against them, it's going to make your life a whole lot easier because, you know, whether you're technically the home team or not for a final at the MCG doesn't matter. But if you're actually going to have to travel somewhere, then it's significant. In part one of the post-retirement Eddie Betts Cup in round eight, the Blues handily dealt with the Crows, winning by 48 points. As for the Crows' ins and outs this round, looks like Josh Rochelle will finally be back from his hip injury. It had been slowing him down for a while. Good on the Crows for taking the slower approach there, not just from the standpoint of we want him at 100%, but for preserving his long-term health as well. What he's going to do for the 2024 Crows is much more important than what he's going to do in these next couple rounds. Beyond Rochelle, though, what the hell is going to happen? Shane McAdam is anywhere from the questionable to doubtful after injuring his thigh. He's had a rough run with a couple injuries these past few rounds. Matt Crouch seems like he's been done dirty by selection and injuries for a lot of the season. He's got a quad problem, and there's all sorts of options in the sandful prominently including Jackson Hakeley. Looking at in the mix on the AFL website, Nathan Schmook thinks that Hakeley, as well as Lachlan Schull, will make his way in, and he says it'll be at the expense of three M's, McAdam, Ned McHenry, and Wayne Millera. And Millera's exclusion would surprise me more than the other two. Well, I would consider both of the non-injury ones to be surprising there. At this point, though, you're not looking at this season, so... Maybe it's more worth it to manage guys and see what kind of top-level medal some players have. If that's the ideology behind it, then I'm more than okay with the Crows trying out different looks these next couple weeks. I've been an advocate of Adam Simpson doing that with the Eagles. For the Blues, Will Hayes is suspended one more week. They'll also be without George Hewitt with a back injury. He's week-to-week. Caleb Marchbank played BFL last week. Not sure what his timetable is there or what their rehab plan is. Jack Carroll is a possibility, as are Jack Martin and Matthew Owies, but sounds like all three of those could just go to the VFL on their return. The most important thing for the Blues, though, is that they should be able to finally make way for Mark Pittnett to get back in the lineup for the first time since round six when he got hurt at Freeman. Tom DeConing has developed well throughout the year, being forced into a top ruck duty, but there's still a clear step down from Pitnet to him. Hopefully, this will also allow for some greater versatility in terms of where DeConey is utilized, kind of thinking along the lines of how Ned Reese has been used for Hawthorne since McAvoy's been back. I don't expect DeConey to feature in the half-forward line as Reeves has, though. But Riley O'Brien has had multiple field days in ruck contests as of late, and I expect Pitnet to somewhat put that to a stop this week. Josh Honey seems to be all but guaranteed to lose his spot this week, but who else? Riley Beveridge picks Jesse Motla as the other candidate to be dropped. Maybe he can move into that medical sub role. You know, dynamic young players tend to do well in that spot, and he's certainly dynamic. But Blues are going to be experiencing a bit of a list crunch, really for the first time, because remember, this is a team that's dealt with a lot of injuries throughout the year which I think gets lost because of how well they've played, especially with this being the first year under Michael Voss. But a lot of times, their hand has been forced in terms of 
selection, which I think now they'll be able to get around that. Blues favored for this game by 13 and a half. I would maybe put it a little higher, despite being at the Adelaide Oval. Maybe, I don't know, more towards like 16 and a half, something like that. I might be willing to push it to three goals or a little higher, but we've seen Adelaide Oval weirdness earlier in the year, and I'm not ruling it out again. I just want to see the Crows show me something on the defensive side. Since that win against Richmond, about which I'm presently thinking, we haven't seen a complete game from their back line as a whole. Jordan Butts, Tom Duday, Billy Frampton, one or more of them have been missing every week since then. And they're going to have to be up to the task early and often contending against Harry Mackay and Charlie Curnow in the air. Sunday's slate of three games is kind of like if you made a sandwich with really good meat and kind of stale bread. Not like inedible bread, but the bread is nowhere near on the level of quality as the meat. Well, one of the pieces of that week old Wonder Bread is Gold Coast and West Coast. I mean, it could still be tasty. The Coast Clash had a lot of things going for it in round one when we realized, wait a minute, Gold Coast might actually have something off which they could build when they won by 27 out in Perth. Then you look a bit closer and see, yeah, there could be a decent amount of mold on that bread with these teams combining to be 10 and 26. Also remember that was a game where West Coast was dealing with some pretty significant COVID outs. Not as bad as the next week, but it was still a factor. I'm not as concerned about the bread as I am the bags. What, you don't like my bags? American viewers can tune in to Fox Soccer Plus if they don't have Watch AFL to watch this one at Metricon Stadium. It is a 1.10 p.m. local start on the Gold Coast. So it's 11.10 a.m. for Western Australian viewers. 11.10 p.m. on the 30th for American viewers on the East Coast. 8.10 for Pacific Time residents like us. The injury report for the Suns, once again, is almost all super long-term injuries. We learned that Charlie Ballard suffered MCL damage last week during the Q-Clash loss to the Lions, so he's done for the year. Likely opens up a spot for Oleg Markov. Markov was the medical sub. A couple times recently, I would imagine that he slots straight into the back line now. A couple really good mustaches back there between him and Sam Collins. Malcolm Roses Jr. worked his way back through the VFL last week, so it sounds very likely that he'll be back in as well. He would probably take Darcy McPherson's spot. Also worth noting that Alex Davies and Brayden Fiorini played well in the VFL, and Jai Farrer is definitely an option. The two most frequently mentioned players in terms of injuries for the West Coast Eagles this year are both going to get mentioned here because Nick Natanui is a test for this week. I already made my return of the Nat artwork for his actual big return. It would be a welcome sight for sure because Callum Jamison Still looks like he'll be out, and Bailey Williams certainly can't match up with Jared Witts on his own. The other one in that group is Elliot Glassbones and Paper Skin Yo. I was born with glass bones and paper skin. He and Jack Petrocelli are both coming back from hamstring problems, and Yo sounds more likely to return than Petrocelli, but then he'll probably just find a new way to injure that same thing again. If Natanui gets in, I think that totally changes the dynamic of this game because we've talked about how much we love Jared Witts in the actual Ruck contests, but he doesn't offer a ton outside of that. And obviously, Natanui is a pretty dynamic player all over the ground. 
Additionally, Tim Kelly played through a court quad last week, apparently. I'm not sure how much that impacted his poor performance last round, how much of it was Marcus Windhager putting on a good tag, how much of it was just Kelly being disappointing. But Connor West is an option if Kelly can't go. More importantly, Willie Rioli is back from personal leave after taking time for some bereavement following the passing of his father, Willie Sr. Suns are favored by 35 and a half. Again, if Nat Nui gets in, I would drop that line significantly. I would probably drop it to around a four-goal margin there, maybe something in the low 20s. As for how much weirdness I expect in this game, I think it could get really weird if Nat Nui comes in in terms of the Eagles maybe getting out to a decent advantage in like the second quarter. But do I see a world in which the Eagles are able to hold on late to win? Not unless Gold Coast does what Collingwood did in round four and just couldn't kick straight. So that was one slice of the week old Wonder Bread. Then there's the really high-end pastrami. Richmond hosting Brisbane at the MCG. We have the Tigers picking up two points out of the 12 they should have had the last three weeks. We have the Lions who haven't won at the G since round 21 of the 2014 season. That's really all you need to set up this game. Something's got to give. Richmond are 9-8-1. They are not ninth mend, but 10th mend after drawing against Fremantle. The Lions are in third at 14-4, despite dropping a game to Essendon a couple rounds ago when COVID was hitting them pretty hard. Thankfully, they are past that now. This game will bounce at 3.20 p.m. local time in Melbourne on Sunday. So it's 1.20 a.m. on Sunday for Eastern Time Zone viewers in the U.S., 10.20 p.m. Pacific on the 30th for us out here in the West. Unfortunately, this is not a game that will be shown live on any Fox channel in the United States. It will air on delay on Fox Soccer Plus at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on the 31st. These teams met twice last year with the home team, and I say that in quotes, winning both. The Lions with a 28-point win at the Gabba in round 10. In round 18, the game got moved from the MCG to Metricon, where the Tigers won by 20. So the Lions can't even win games that were supposed to be at the MCG and weren't there. This was also a matchup we were excited for twice in 2020, and they were top four matchups both times. The home team won both of those then as well, with Richmond, of course, still managing to get the flag despite losing that qualifying final. That technical home game in 2020 for Richmond was at Metricon, and then it was, of course, a true home game for the Lions in that first qualifying final. I will note, looking back on it, that the Lions did beat Melbourne in an away game at Metricon in 2020, so that's a game that would have been at the MCG under normal circumstances, I guess you could say. We're not going to drag this thing out any further, looking back into the past. We've got enough to already talk about in terms of what's at hand. And we got a milestone in hand. It's the 300th game for Richmond's Shane Edwards. Looking at who's not going to be playing in this one, we have a couple recent departures from Punt Road. Kane Lambert retired. We discussed that in our round 19 recap. And also this past week, Matthew Parker has returned to his family in the West. Not sure if that means he's completely calling time on his AFL career as a whole or whether we might see him suit up for one of those sides next year or beyond. I'm thinking it's more the former. Tom Lynch is likely to return this week, so that's a big in for a Tigers team that has really struggled to kick straight lately. Though he is also known for some pretty easy misses as well. It seems like, you know, 
a lot of times with Lynch, there's this inverse relationship between his success kicking and the degree of difficulty of said kicks. I don't know if that affects how you defend him, where you really put pressure on him. The other injury note for the Tigers worth mentioning is that Jack Ross is a test coming back from a knee injury. I remember when they made that push and nearly beat the Cats, he was a big part of that. Looking at some reports from analysts, one player that's been mentioned as a potential out for Richmond is our man Hugo Ralph Smith, because he hasn't done all that much in the past few, and guys like Thompson Dow have been knocking on the door for AFL selection once again. Considering that the Tigers are definitely not in an if-it-ain't-broke-don't-fix-it situation, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a bunch of changes this week. We're going to see far fewer changes for the Lions. They will be without Daniel Rich. He's in concussion protocols. If Kadeen Coleman is good to go from his hamstring injury, that might be the only change. Coleman did do a nice job a couple rounds ago when Rich last went down, taking that halfback mover role, so may not require a huge strategic change there. Tigers favored by two and a half. Now, I'd be shocked if they win a tight game, but also I totally understand putting Richmond as a two and a half point favorite because if you average out like all of the likely outcomes, the mean result would probably be something in that range. And face it, seeing a line like that will probably make a lot of people want to bet that game one way or the other. So, in that case, I guess the bookmakers have done a good job. Moving on to that other underwhelming piece of bread, I guess you could say this is the heel of the loaf. Essendon hosting North Melbourne, or I guess hosting in quotes because it's at Marvel Stadium, which is, of course, the home for both. Essendon do get a home game or two at the G every year, but with this matchup, the way both teams have been lately, this ain't it. I think the heel analogy is even better when you know that Nick Larkey was a laid out last week because of a heel injury, and we'll know on Thursday if he's going to be good to go this week. This game gets underway, 4.40 p.m. in Melbourne, 2.40 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and for those of us on the West Coast, it'll be 20 minutes before Saturday turns to Sunday. For some reason, this game will be the one on FS2. It may have something to do with prior programming not making the Richmond-Brisbane game a possibility for Fox Sports. I don't know. I haven't looked at that intently. Maybe there's just an American Fox executive that's a fan of one of these teams. Or maybe they're hoping Massimo D'Ambrosio plays, because if he does, that alone is reason to watch. Yeah, he could be back in, and maybe he's the saving grace in a game where the teams combined to be 8-28. and 28. Essendon are 6-12, and 12, they're in 14th. North are 2-16, and 16. it's still hard for me to believe they've won two games this year. They remain in last on percentage. The Bombers won both meetings last year. Round 10 was not close at all at Marvel. That was a 72-point thumping. Essendon were pretty damn accurate in that one, kicking 22-9-141. And in round 18, it was a good deal closer an 18-point margin out at Metricon Stadium when the game was, of course, originally going to be played at Marvel. I am very glad that we look to be past the relocation of games phase. Head-to-head, the Bombers have won seven straight against North, looking to make it eight here. In addition to the possibility of Massimo D'Ambrosio returning, a few other injury things to go through. We don't have a timeline for Mason Redman on his way back from internal bruising and bleeding. 
Kane Baldwin is the test. Uh, he's working his way back from a calf injury. Not dead Ben Hobbs played through shoulder soreness last week. Tom Cutler, Aaron Francis, and Archie Perkins all played VFL last week. I've talked a lot about how much I've liked Perkins these last few weeks in that spark plug role. At the risk of mispronouncing his name yet again, the guy with Balkan heritage who writes stuff for AFL.com expects Nick Bryan to get back in over Andrew Phillips as the second ruck for the Bombers. But my question for Essendon this week really has a lot less to do with who's in there and a lot more to do with how they respond to a loss like last week. Similar to Port Adelaide, it's going to tell us a lot about their culture and the morale of this club and where things are because there's really no blueprint for how to respond to a game like they had last week. Well, Truck was taking a pretty positive spin on it in his presser, so I imagine he's carried that over through at least the first part of this week. I can tell you this. If they play poorly, I'm going to rip on that positivity. If they play well, maybe I'll learn something about coaching where this could be a teaching moment because when I learned something about coaching, it's when something happens that kind of challenges what I would have thought, you know, things that don't go by the book. And taking a positive spin after and after the siren loss is far from what I would consider going by the book. You know, I don't think there's also a blueprint for dealing with COVID outs even still at this point. Yes, we are in the third year of going through this, but the rules have changed so much and every team's case is different. And how do you figure out who's going to be the caretaker coach for the caretaker coach? Because Lee Adams is one of the members of North Melbourne's group in COVID protocols, along with four players. We know that Callum Coleman-Jones and Paul Curtis are among them. And that's disappointing with the past couple weeks they've had. But it's hard to really judge what this list is going to look like for the Kangaroos without knowing those other two. We do know that Flynn Perez has been suspended for a dumb hit on Jager O'Meara. And that Taron Thomas does look likely to return between some of the personal things subsiding with some time having passed from the death that his family suffered, as well as just the COVID list situation in general. Looking at the VFL level, Charlie Convin and Kyron Hayden are expected to play there. What does this game really mean for North between the COVID outs and the situation in which this club has found itself, has put itself? I'd say it's more their agency. I don't know. I just think if they want to find inspiration, they should look at how the Eagles played against them back in round two, even though four COVID outs is nowhere near the same scale. It's... You have that same kind of, what do we have to lose? Let's go get them mentality. Also, as for the caretaker, caretaker coach, it reminds me of last month when the Anaheim Angels, they're the Anaheim Angels, not Los Angeles. And Los Angeles of Anaheim was even stupider. But at one point, they had an acting, acting interim manager because they had fired their manager, their interim manager was suspended, and the guy who would have been in his place as the acting manager was also suspended. Well, it's certainly going to be Essendon's game to lose rather than North's to win. And Essendon are favored by 41 and a half. Had you told someone last month that Essendon would be favored by that much? I'm actually not sure how they would react. Maybe they'd actually understand it with just how pathetic North have been, but also with how slowly Essendon had been going, really until that win against St. Kilda. I think they still would have been shocked by where the line sits now. 
I also just want to comment on Flynn Perez being suspended one game for a very stupid late hit on Jagger O'Meara. I'd love to know how that's one game and Will Hayes was two and Tom Stewart was four. How much was O'Meara hurt? There's enough of your answer right there. The AFL takes the Hammurabi approach. Fucking ridiculous. I think the one to really compare it to is Hayes. We can go on criticizing the AFL looking at the impact of the offending act as opposed to the intent, but we've gone to lengths with that enough in probably three or more episodes at this point. And besides, this preview is probably already going to be pretty long with how intently we talked about a few of the matches. So we're going to leave things there and we'll be getting back to you in just a few days time once round 20 has passed. I don't know how much clearer the finals picture will be then. Probably not all that much, honestly, with how close things remain. In fact, only one team can even clinch a final spot this week, because if Geelong win, then they'll be at minimum 16 points ahead of ninth with just three games remaining. It is also possible that we do rejoin you before then, if There are enough surprising list inclusions for a mini-episode. We'll see if that actually comes into existence. Whenever we do join you again, it'll be episode number 50, which is a legitimate milestone worth celebrating. Until then, don't forget to find us on Twitter, at AmericansFooty, live-tweeting our reactions to anything and everything AFL. You can find me individually at Castle Media. You can find me individually at BenjaminHK01. You can find Brian Harambe, the footy cat, sleeping across from us on Ethan's bedroom floor and on Instagram at cat named Brian. Thank you once again for tuning in to this perfect square numbered episode. 